0: Have you ever played one of those party games where someone gets up in front of the crowd, there's 20 of you gathered, and the person up front says, Okay, do exactly what I do. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I can do that, no problem. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And they're like, no, no, you didn't do it right. And they keep doing it over and over. And the people around you, are everyone's trying to figure it out together. And it's so frustrating when you can't figure out what you're doing wrong. Uh, And and they keep doing it over and over, right? They're like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And you keep doing it again. And they keep saying you're not doing it right. And then somehow someone figures out... What's happening? They crack the code, right? And then they do it and start laughing because they got it right. And pretty soon it starts spreading through the group and some people know and others don't. And your buddy gets up and does it correctly, but he's doing as near as you can tell the same thing as you. And then your other friend gets up and she does it and she does it right. But again, you think you're doing it right. And finally, you're maybe you're the last one. I don't know, we're all different. Uh, Maybe you're the first one, but there's this group of people who get it and they're so excited and happy and ha 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 and they watch you do it wrong and they're like, no, no. ah!" And then there are the people that uh, haven't figured it out, some of whom are getting increasingly frustrated and some of them are just. like, Right. And then finally, someone does it in a way that you can see that they go. Do exactly what I do. And they do this for a long time and you're like, oh, okay, got it. One, two, three, da. Right, they did some little motion, some little tick that you just don't notice, and that's why you didn't get it. Right? And there's this feeling when you first figure it out, depending on whether you're the first person or the last person to figure it out, of just for a lot of times when you figure it out on your own, there's this just excitement. Ah. Oh. I get it! Right? Uh, it's just this fun thing. And we're going to be talking about a story today that has some aspects of that. In fact, my one of my favorite stories in Scripture. But first, I should just say who I am. I'm Matt Michelotis. Some of you know me as JR's friend, and that is correct. Uh, I love this story so much, I've even written a novel, a graphic novel, actually, about this story that won't be out forever because the artists, you know how artists are, man, they gotta draw everything, it takes forever, but one day, there'll be a graphic novel about this story by me, which I'm pretty excited about. Um, So let's read the story real quick. It is from Luke chapter 24. Uh, which we've been sticking to stories about the resurrection the last couple of weeks, and this is one of those. So Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 13, and I've got my big black Bible, which tells you that it's a Bible, and it goes like this. The same day, the same day that the women went to the tomb and saw that Jesus's body was missing, the same day two of Jesus's followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. And as they walked, they were talking about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? They stopped short, sadness written across their faces. Then one of them, Cleopas replied, We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel, and this all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing, and they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see, and sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And then Jesus said, well, that's interesting. no. Jesus said, you foolish people, you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures? Wasn't it clearly predicted the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took him through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And by the time they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey, Jesus acted as if he was going to keep going. But they begged him stay the night with us since it's getting late, so he went home with them. And as they sat down to eat, he took the bread and blessed it, then he broke it and gave gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, they figured it out, they recognized him, and at that moment he disappeared. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us? And within the hour, they were on their way back to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 disciples and the others who had gathered with them, who said, the Lord has really risen. Even Peter saw him. He's appeared to Peter. That's what they actually said. All right. That's what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. That story. I'm so excited. And I am hoping and trusting and praying that we will have the same experience as those two followers on the road, that the Lord will speak to us today In a way that will surprise us and help us to see something that's right in front of our faces that we've never noticed before. Mary Magdalene, this woman who uh, runs home from Jesus's empty tomb and says, for some reason, someone has come and they've taken Jesus's body. And then last week. Pastor Sonia talked with us about deciphering language and communications and how Mary Magdalene uh, met Jesus after he came back to life and how he taught how Jesus promised peace to us, peace to you, peace to me, peace to you. Amazing. Today we're going to tell the story of two disciples, these two men who were walking down the road and They didn't realize Jesus was walking with them. And then Jesus said, "Uh, what are you talking about? And they said, we're talking about all this stuff that's been going on about this guy, Jesus and Jesus weird says, uh, what are you talking about? Oh, what, what stuff going on (laughs) as if he doesn't know and lets them tell him. And then Jesus says, oh, you're so foolish. You don't understand what the scripture says. And he teaches them from the scripture, which is just amazing. Think of Jesus teaching you what the scripture says about himself and then they keep walking together. It's pretty amazing. And then Jesus breaks some bread with them, and we'll get to that. Uh, and they recognize him, and then he disappears. Incredible story. And then they run back to Jerusalem and say, hey, guess what, everybody? We just saw Jesus. And they're like, we know, we just saw Jesus. And everyone's like, what, what, what? Very exciting. Um. Okay. Did you notice that I added something to the story that's not in scripture. Our story we're looking at today about Emmaus. Did you notice? Well, there's not a quiz or anything. It, uh, I'll say it again. We see Jesus. Uh, there, there are these two disciples walking down the road, these two men, and Jesus is walking beside them. Did you notice it that time? All right, all right. If you did, great. Bonus gold stars for you. If you didn't, Also great, you can have some gold stars, it's fine. Um, Okay, so when I sat down to write my graphic novel, and this was recent, okay, I've been following Jesus for a long time, since I was a kid. I sit down, I'm gonna do a graphic novel uh, about the story of the Emmaus Road and Jesus walking with these disciples. And what I'm doing in the graphic novel is I take Jesus's part where he starts telling the story, We show him talking about all these stories from the Old Testament and show the disciples making the connections and going, that reminds me of this story about Jesus, this thing I was there for when he fed the 5,000. I remember that. It reminds me of what Jesus, what the Bible says in the Old Testament, like that, right? So, obviously, to do that, you have to make up some stuff. And now we we have three main characters in Scripture. uh, In this story, we have Jesus. We have one of the disciples who were told his name is Cleopas, and then we have a third person, uh, a second disciple, a second follower of Jesus, who's not named. So I'm like, oh no, now I gotta make up a name, like an old timey Hebrew name? Best of luck to me. Uh, but I start doing some research, I start looking into it, and discover that we actually have a bunch of clues about who this other person is and it unlocks it's a code that unlocks some really interesting possibilities about this story and what's happening in it. Now again these are our guesses but like anyone imagine that you were alive in the time that Jesus came back to life and you were part of the community. You would know a bunch of stuff without anyone saying it to you that you and I don't know. Right? You you would know you know, which of the disciples didn't brush well and always his breath always smelled like fish, right? So if you said the fishy one, everyone would be like, oh, right, <laughs> James, you know, or whatever. Uh, so there are some assumptions made in the text of what we know and don't know that a family would know, right? So let's start with this. Well, here are some of the clues. One... um, The scripture doesn't say anything about the second disciple in this story, except that they were with Cleopas. That's a good clue to start. What else do we know about Cleopas? Uh, And we have one other reference that is most likely to Cleopas. It says Clopas, but it'd be kind of the same. So I'm Matt, Matthew. Uh, So if someone said, oh, I was talking to Matthew Michelotis, you'd be like, That's Matt Micheladis, kind of like Ben Kenobi and Obi-Wan Kenobi. It's not the best hiding. Like if you're trying to hide out and you're like, I know, I'll change my name from Obi-Wan to Ben. And everyone's like, Ben Kenobi, huh? Um, Similar, okay? Or if someone said, uh, someone called me Mateo, you wouldn't be like, hey, that's not his name, right? You'd be like, oh, yeah. In Spanish, that's what we say. And most of these people were bilingual, at least, or trilingual. You know, they spoke Aramaic, Latin, Hebrew, um, Greek. A lot of them spoke Greek. So, okay, here's what we know. John 19.25 says this. Standing near the cross, so during the crucifixion, uh, was Jesus's mother, which it doesn't say her name. What's Jesus's mother's name? Mary. So standing near the cross were Jesus's mother and Jesus's mother's sister, Mary's sister, also named Mary. And next to her was also Mary, her sister Mary. And then, in case that's confusing, it says in parentheses, "the wife of Clopas." Okay, Clopas' sister-in-law. They just—they weren't as like caught up on that stuff, you know. It'd be like if you say to someone, "Oh, I have a half brother," and they're like, "You either have a brother or you don't," right? Um, similar. So Mary, the wife of Clopas, and then a third person also there, Mary Magdalene, who we've been talking about. So three Marys. Uh, all standing here together and all closely related, part of the discipleship group following Jesus. Uh, it'd be kind of like when I first joined a new group, uh, there were like six mats and I was New Guy Matt. And then when we grew to ten mats, they still called me New Guy Matt. Very upsetting. Uh, and we see throughout scripture lots of moments where we have women who are unnamed, unnamed wives and sisters. Think of it kind of like when your friend posts pictures of their kids on facebook with no context and without their names you still know it's their kids and you're like "Ah, i was hoping i would remember their name by looking on your facebook but you never use it Uh, but we have jesus healing a woman with bleeding right we have uh, peter's mother-in-law gets healed by jesus but we don't know her name a woman caught in adultery peter's wife for that matter we don't know her name jairus's daughter by the way we know he's married because he has a mother-in-law jairus's daughter there's tons of them job's wife noah's wife uh, the witch at indoor, the the Midian women. Um, so it, it's, it's a cultural norm, really, that you don't always use a woman's name if you can tell who the person is. So this second person walking alongside Jesus and Cleopas is almost certainly uh, a woman named Mary who happens to be Jesus's aunt. So Jesus's uncle and aunt, Cleopas and Mary, which is pretty amazing. Cleopas, by the way, is Joseph's brother. We, we know that uh, from, well, we guess it from John, but it's also said extra biblically. Okay, so not in the Bible. People have said this uh, in early documents. So Cleopas and Mary are Jesus's aunt and uncle. And they're walking along and they don't recognize him, which is so fascinating. It says right in the scripture, right at the top there, it says God prevented them from recognizing him. So they know Jesus well. They remember, like uh, Cleopas remembers when his brother was engaged to this woman who suddenly got pregnant and wasn't with Joseph's kid right? They were there the year that Jesus stuck back at the temple and everyone was walking back. In fact, Mary and Joseph probably came running up to them and said, Cleopas, Mary, have you seen Jesus? We thought he was with the cousins. And they're like, no, we haven't seen him. And they're like, oh no, we loved him in Jerusalem. Right? They were family. So yeah, they were there at the crucifixion. Uh, Mary Cleopas's uh, wife, this Mary, she was there at the empty tomb with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um anyway, all that to say, it wasn't two men, probably, that were walking along. It almost certainly was Mary uh, with Cleopas, which is so interesting. It opens up some really interesting things about this scripture, I think. Um, so we go into this. What What does Jesus open up? Jesus opens up the scripture and he says, Uh, It says he starts at the very beginning, right? So he goes to Genesis. He says, in the beginning, God created life where there was no life. And Cleopas and Mary go, that's what happened with Mary. God came to Mary and said, there's going to be life in your womb, even though there shouldn't be. Uh, We talk about the the serpent who will strike Messiah's heel, but Messiah will crush the serpent's head. Uh, So what does it mean that he's going to strike his heel? Oh, that's interesting. Oh, maybe that meant something about... The Messiah being harmed in some way by evil. Uh, The story of Jonah, maybe three days in the belly of the whale, right? And then Jonah gets spit out. And Jesus specifically talked about that no sign will be given to this wicked and evil generation, except for the sign of Jonah, that maybe Jesus was three days in the belly of the earth, right? And then he came out and he brought salvation, not just for the Jewish people, but even for Ninevites, as who Jonah went to, uh, even to the people who don't know God, like the Romans. Uh, So that's interesting. Or maybe Abraham and Isaac, right? Uh, Abraham is told to sacrifice his only son, and he agrees to do it. But in the end, his son lives. But the sacrifice is still taken place. Uh, So this isn't the point of the passage, right? It doesn't go deeply into this piece, uh, although the rest of the New Testament does in some detail, But I think that's what's amazing about this moment is that his aunt and uncle are walking along and he says, you've known me a long time, my my whole earthly life. And yet, there's so much you don't know. And he starts walking them through, opening their eyes. And then it says he acted like he was going further on. And they said, no, 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 please stay, which is just a really weird moment where Jesus is literally acting in Scripture. First, he pretends he doesn't know the stories. And then he's like, "Okay, guys, I got to keep going. And they're like, no, please stay with us. And he does. Uh, So that's pretty amazing. So I'm going to leave you with this just to think about for a few minutes. And we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the Jewish prayer for bread. When Jesus breaks the bread, they suddenly recognize him. Why is that? So Jesus walks with his aunt and uncle uh, from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's about a seven-mile journey. And on that walk, he's telling them the entire time uh, the story of himself from Scripture, the things that he says they were foolish and slow to believe, what Scripture had already said must happen to Messiah. So they're seeing things in a completely new way, just walking with him for hours as he's laying out this story, and they don't recognize that it's their nephew, Jesus, until the moment that they, he acts like he's going on, right? And then they say, no, 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 please stay. He agrees to stay, and they sit down, and he takes the bread, and he prays and breaks the bread. Now, every Jewish person at this time would pray the exact same prayer before they prayed for bread. Uh, It'd be kind of like, probably someone in your family might have a, a prayer they stick to. Uh, God is great, food is sweet, thank you for the food we eat, you know, whatever. It's it's not like that exactly. But every devout Jewish person had a prayer that they prayed when they broke bread. So Jesus would have prayed this uh, at the Last Supper. He would have prayed it when he fed the 5,000, when he broke the food. Uh, and he would have prayed it over dinner if you're having bread. Uh, so this is the bless. It's a blessing more more than a prayer. Uh, so, th- these are the words in English. It would be something like, Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who has brought forth bread from the earth. So, when Jesus prayed this prayer and broke the bread, they suddenly were like, Jesus, two weeks ago, about maybe he folded his napkin a certain way. And then you're like, Oh, the grave closer, they're folded that way too. Uh, could be. I think it may be something because. Uh, they approach scripture in a in a really different way than I grew up in evangelical spaces reading scripture. And that is they just like dig into it, fight with each other, ask questions, uh, really go after it, make theories. And I love this one because there, there's a big fight about this prayer, this blessing. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who's brought forth bread from the earth. And what some of the Jewish scholars said was, You don't get bread from the earth, you get grain, and that's how you make bread. So what is this blessing saying? That's a good question. Why are we praying it this way? And so there are a bunch of theories. The minority theory, but one I love that I think is so funny from the fourth century, is this rabbi who said, okay, well, maybe it's from the past that uh, brought forth bread from the earth. That doesn't happen now. But we don't know about the Garden of Eden. What we do know is that it was a garden with amazing trees. Some trees we don't know about. There was a tree of life. We don't have trees of life. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We don't have trees of knowledge of good and evil. Maybe there were bread trees. Wouldn't that be nice? Note that in Scripture, after the curse, when Adam and Eve mess up, that God says, "Uh, now you will have to work really hard by the sweat of your brow to get bread from the earth. So he's saying, you didn't used to, bread used to be easy, now it's going to be hard. Uh, some of the other rabbis are not as convinced, and they say, look, I get it, you really want bread to come from trees, uh, what if it's talking about the future? We don't have bread now that comes from trees, or it comes from the earth, Oh, uh, w- what, uh, what if it's talking about the future? When Messiah comes, he's going to take this broken world, this cursed world, and make it whole. And maybe in the future, it'll actually be easy to get what you need to make bread. So it's more a metaphor for the better world to come when Messiah comes. It's pretty good. Pretty good. So either way, they're they're like interrogating this blessing to find what is God communicating to us in this blessing we all use. What I think is so fascinating is that after a day of hearing Jesus talking about how Messiah appears in scripture and all these places where it's clearly saying Messiah will be be killed and rise again. Uh, And they're comparing that to their everyday experience of Jesus and the things they've heard him speak. I think it's entirely possible, well, it doesn't say this in scripture. I think it's entirely possible that someone could have looked at this same prayer and said, what does Jesus call himself? The bread of life. And he literally has just come from inside the earth in the tomb, the sign of Jonah, that he'd be dead for three days and come back. So could it be, blessed are you, Lord, our God, king of the universe, who has brought forth bread, living bread from the earth? And then Jesus breaks the bread and they recognize him and he's gone. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. But I think it's really interesting. Something about that prayer and that moment where he breaks the bread and God allows them to recognize Jesus. Now, they had thought that Messiah was going to come to save the Jewish people from empire, which he did, but not in the way that was expected. He did something bigger, more interesting, more powerful, and for more people than what a lot of people thought Messiah was going to do. So I think there's three things just to reflect on this week uh, as you're considering the story. First, uh, Cleopas and Mary knew Jesus better than almost anybody. Had known him his whole earthly life. Had been close with him. Had been there when uh, Cleopas, when his big brother said, "Uh, the girl I'm engaged to is pregnant and it wasn't me. And she says it wasn't anybody else but God. Cleopas was there. Uh, They were there when they were walking home uh, from Jerusalem when Jesus was a kid. And uh, their kids are running around Jesus's cousins, some of whom were disciples, by the way. And uh, Mary and Joseph come running, running up to Mary and Cleopas and say, have you seen Jesus? We thought he was with you and the cousins. And they say, no, we haven't seen him. And Mary and Joseph say, oh, no, we've left him in Jerusalem and go running home to try or running home to Jerusalem to try and find him, to find him in the temple where he says, you knew I'd be in my father's house, right? They knew this. They were there for it. Uh, So, all that to say, sometimes the people who know Jesus and God best think there's not much left to learn, and this story tells us the opposite. Our entire lives could be changed by one insight that opens up like a secret code, an entire another incredible sea of knowledge about how amazing God is, how loving God is, God's plan for the world and for human beings. So if we're far along in our knowledge of God, we need to embrace that there's much, much more to know. He's an eternal—God is an eternal person, and we can embrace that. We can, we can look forward to that. Uh, secondly, I think it's really interesting um, that this whole time they're walking for literal hours on the road, they say their hearts were burning within them, but they didn't recognize that it was Jesus speaking. And I wonder, could that be true of us? Could there be places where God is speaking to us, where Jesus is speaking to us, and we're even having an emotional response to it? We're going like, this is amazing. There's places in our life and go like, "Oh, oh, that's Jesus talking. That might be good. And then the last thing, what I love is when they recognize for Jerusalem, where Pastor Sonia talked about Jesus appears among them, and says, peace be with you, that's that's as uh, as these two are running back and bursting into the room. Coming into community to share what they've learned is when Jesus appears and offers peace to all of them. So is there something that God is teaching you? Don't keep it to yourself. Share it with us. Share it with the community. Let us be a part of it. Uh, and those so those are the three things I'll ask you to think about and reflect on today and then later this week is no matter how long we've known God, could there be a great deal more to learn? Is there some great knowledge still coming to us? Uh, secondly, uh, could it be that God is speaking to us right now and we're not recognizing it? We don't, we don't see it in this moment. And third, uh, how do we share what we've learned with the people around us? All right, blessings to all of you. Pastor JR is going to come and help us break bread now.
1: Uh, Before we move to the table where Mary uh, and Clopas recognized Jesus, we are going to participate in a prayer of examine. Uh, I'm going to give you some questions, and Matt actually asked if when we do this part, when we do the examine, if we could, instead of putting the questions in print like we usually do on the screen, if we could use some artistic imaginings of uh, the road to Emmaus and of that meal. And so for each of the four questions, we're going to have a different image up there. And I want to invite you, I, I know that the traditional uh, prayer mode is head bowed and eyes closed, right? But I'm saying, you know, if you've been around Catalyst, you know we don't, we don't necessarily have to do it that way. So I'm going to leave some some images up here for you to look at, uh, at and, and to reflect on uh, as, as we move through these examined questions. So the first question I want you to consider in, a, in an attitude of prayer and as we reflect on this first image of the road to Emmaus, is where in the last week have I seen Jesus at work? In my life, around me, uh, where, have I, where have I seen Jesus at work? Next, I want to ask: Are there spaces, relationships, times in the last week where I have felt an absence of Jesus, where I've wondered, uh, you know, sort of like that footprints problem, right? Like, where, where is Jesus at work, or why isn't Jesus at work? Now, think about the week that's ahead of us. Are there spaces in the week ahead of us where you want to see Jesus present, where you want to experience his presence, you know, again, in that space, in that relationship, in that time, are there places that you really particularly know that you need Jesus to be there? finally, what does it look like for me this week to make space to listen for Jesus, to notice Jesus, to experience Jesus' presence in those spaces? pray together. Lord God, you are the creator of the universe. You are the one who brings forth bread from the earth. And you have gathered us here. Often remember we are not able to discern your presence. We do not hear your voice though you are speaking. We do not see you with us though you are there. And so we confess that Uh, often we we feel overwhelmed by fears, by the anxieties and the worries of the world, by the, the real pains that we witness there, the injustices and the anguishes. And we wonder why you are not at work. And yet you have shown us this morning through your servant, Matt, The way you came alongside your aunt and uncle when they were in grief, when they were confused and in anguish, feeling both the deep personal loss of people who cared about you so much but also the anguish of those who had longed for the Messiah and had thought their dreams had been dashed. And we have witnessed how you have turned their mourning into rejoicing, how you have shown them that what happened on the cross was not an accident or an interruption, but was indeed the plan that you had from before the creation of the world to become one of your creation and to embrace the injustices and the pains of empire and to allow yourself to be killed so that you could conquer death by rising again and open up the possibility of an entire new world for them and for us. And so as they did... On that incredible Easter day, so now we too come to your table and break bread with you. And we pray that as we do, as we receive these elements at your table, that just like Mary and Clopas, our eyes would be opened, our ears would be opened, our imaginations would be broadened so that we could experience the new world that you have made possible. Thank you for welcoming this this morning. Thank you for setting a place for us at your table. And thank you for redeeming all things so that we could be a part of your new creation. We offer these prayers now when we enjoy your meal in the name of your son, Jesus. The night Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples and he broke bread and he gave it to them. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And when the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus's death until he returns.